0: Well, welcome again to the Vineyard. My name is Randy. I'm a teaching and prayer pastor. Glad that you're here with us. Um, we've got a couple of items of family business. And by the way, if you're here this morning, welcome to the family. <laughs> we're, we're glad you're here. Um, number one, uh, if you were here, this is no shame or no special stuff, but if you were here yesterday for any part of the cleanup day, would you stand? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Um, stay standing if you would. I just want to say a thank you to all of you. Um, there was some, a lot of camaraderie. There was a lot of fun. There was a lot of work done, whether it's visible out there or not. A lot of things happened, and thanks for your help. Uh, special thanks to Dan Updike there, who was our foreman manager and so forth. Annie Gonzalez, who made our food yesterday, and just to all of you who brought your own tools and brought your energy, thank you. God bless you, and you may be seated. (laughs) Uh, One other thing as we sort of look at our building and trying to figure things out, one thing that we would ask of you, I know there are not a whole lot of bathrooms in the church, but... This is the children's area, so we would ask you for the protection of our children and just all-around wisdom that uh, adults would use the bathrooms this way so that the kids can be back there and be free. Yeah, just that's all I have to say about that. Um, Brother John, would you come forward? We sent a team to Roatan a couple of weeks ago, and they are back. If you were on that Roatan team, would you stand? And if you were on the team and came yesterday, extra stars yeah uh so uh, just ask john to share a little bit you guys can be seated to share a little bit about the trip
1: yeah, yeah thank thanks randy um yeah i'm gonna call everybody out again but you don't have to stand when i say <laughs> it but um so yeah i've been asked to share on behalf of the team you know our, our trip to roatan um as a team we have so many great experiences that cannot be fully expressed in a few minutes so i'm just going to give a recap and summarize what we did So on the screen we're gonna have a slideshow of some photos and um, the first slide is gonna be the team. So I'd like to introduce the team if you don't know them. We have Jane and Edward Fokin, Dan and Tracy Updike, Clint and Beth Myers, Bill and Tracy Bach, Linda, Alon and Gabe Picard, Mana and Annabelle Mainly, Adriana, Taylor and Byron Lanthorpe, Marianne Abney, and myself. So. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is share a couple of scriptures first. Um uh, 1 Peter 4:10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then Ephesians 4:11 and 12. So Christ himself gave to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So these two verses resonated with um, what we did in Roatan. Each of us have been equipped with our own individual giftings, and we saw the individual gifts become one as we stepped into where the Lord was leading, and all were edified by the body of Christ. So most mission trips typically consist of a typical like, construction or building, painting, digging a well, and things like that, something physical. But our mission was focused on building eternal relationships for the kingdom. Now we did have some challenges, as the team members can attest to. Um, there was weather extremes. Um, when we got off the plane it felt like 110 degrees, 100% humidity, and uh, rain, and rain. So I can't emphasize that enough, but um, for two days, it rained over 24 inches. So we had a lot of obstacles there. Um, (laughs) There was a leaky roof in one of the vehicles, which was fun. Um, A flat tire on one of the vans and a very bumpy and washed out roads. Um, But we prayed through all the challenges and pushed through those temporary conditions to do what the Lord had for us each day. We witnessed um, that we said yes to the Lord, had moved forward, and God showed up and poured out his love and heart daily. So we spoke and prayed at an open air church. And while we were walking down the alley to the church, you can hear the music playing and just felt the Lord's presence. Um, And then we delivered medical supplies um, that came from the States to one of the clinics, feeding people on the side of the road next to the ocean. Uh, everyone was fed. Um, there was, yeah, God showed up there. Um, hearing a woman's testimony of redemption to where she now fosters 18 children and feeds up to 50 children daily, all through the, just God working. We delivered food to people on a secluded island in the rain, meaning boats, you're getting pelted with water, and, it, you know, it was fun. And, and when we got there, they just had minimal infrastructure. And um, just the level of, um, I don't know, okay, so, yeah. (laughs) But the people's hearts were very open. And it touched me deeply um, that they didn't have much, but they gave much, they gave a lot. Um, We took and served lunch to a rehab center for men and women where we broke bread, shared testimonies prayed and worshiped together. Um, We went to the highest point on the island called the mountain and we met local pastors who were fasting and praying for revival on the island. And the Holy Spirit was very evident that day and lives were changed. We witnessed many hearts being softened with words of encouragement through scripture, praise, dance, and the words of knowledge. As a group, We all felt the presence of the Lord and gave away what we had been given. We also received more than probably we realized. I got a few quotes from some of the members after the trip. The first one says, The trip was an experience that I have never had before, and I cannot seem to look at the same things the same way. And another one, I cannot help but think of the people of Roatan. My heart is torn and I miss the outpouring of love from Jesus we all shared with them. My perspective has changed. And another one, I pray that the Indy Vineyard has forever changed as we give away what was given to us for God over the past week. All praise to the King. Amen. So, I just wanna thank you for listening and, um, to what we did and I encourage you to locate and ask a team member for their personal testimony Um, because everyone experienced something different, even though we were all doing the same things. And lastly, I'd like to thank John and Bev Atkins. Um, They are a missionary team that is uh, supported by the Indy Vineyard. Um, They were our our hosts, um, and they uh, live on the island, and they um, have a mission called Mission Revive. Um, One last scripture I want to mention here. Uh, Colossians 1.6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's praise. So I just want to say, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, so thank you.
0: Will you stay here so we can pray? If you would, why don't we stand and just put our hands out towards John as representative of that team to Rotan Honduras and... Pray also for John and Bev. Thank you, God, for grace, abundant grace. As we're filled, we give away, and then we get more. And that's just heaven. Thank you for that. I ask that you bless the team as they come back with holy and healthy perspective. Pray for your blessing of uh, grace and provision on John and Bev as they minister there, almost five years now. And um, would you establish the work of their hands? Yes, establish the work of their hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. You can be seated. Okay. I won't make you stand up again unless I do. (laughs) All right. Uh, One more little thing before we get into the message this morning. Um, You all know, you probably have heard, uh, we're on a collective journey as a church. Um, We're looking at um, what it looks like to be obedient to what we believe is God's call on us to inhabit this space to be um, not just present here, but fully inhabit this building that God has called us to be stewards of. We've had uh, seven or eight in-home meetings, talking to a lot of people, answering questions, getting a lot of good insight. Um, we, um, it's, it's been fun, honestly. We're looking at two options right now, just so everyone can know. One option is maybe we would be called by God to purchase this building, and uh, own it and all sorts of stuff that might be entailed there, which could be financially and stewardship-wise really a great thing for us, not without its challenges. Or possibly just remaining here as long-term tenants and putting some investment into this space. As Adam has said at these meetings, it's been so good to me here, stewardship is quite often over things that you don't own. I mean, isn't that the reality is we don't own anything. It all belongs to God, but he's called us to be stewards. So um, our ask for you, the family of God, is would you be praying these next few months? We won't do a, actually a, you know, a pledge and all that until January. But would you pray and ask God, what would you have me give over and above my normal giving over the next two years? And we've said it a bunch of times. The biggest thing we want you to do is Pray. If God says zero, give zero and be obedient. If God says five million, just give it. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's, it's serious. We're asking you to pray and then obey. And if we pray and God speaks and we walk that out, then beautiful things are going to happen. So um, if you've not been able to come to an in-home meeting, we are having a meeting today You probably got an email from Adam about that. So immediately following the service in the community room, uh, we'll have about an hour and 15 minutes or so. You can ask any questions that you want about this uh, building campaign, Inhabit the Space. There's there's no presentation. There's no sales spiel. It really is come with your questions, and we will discern together. Um, And there's also Annie's Gumbo. So (laughs) if you want that, (laughs) uh, please come and be with us. All right. Uh, Last thing, we will also have a meeting or two in November, also after church. So we want everyone to be able to come to one of those meetings. And if you can't get there, come to me or Adam and just ask your question. We're doing this together. All right. Uh, This morning we're reading um, from Psalm 90. And I am literally going to spend the rest of my time on one verse. Uh, I think it's important for us. I think it's God's word for us this morning. Psalm 90, um, you may know, is the only psalm that we have recorded from Moses. So what that means is it is the oldest psalm in the Bible. So you got Moses uh, doing his deal around 1400 BC, and 400 years later, we get David, the man after God's own heart. Moses was called the man of God. David, the man after God's own heart. These are good people to listen to. So this is um, Psalm 90. I'm going to read through a portion of it and then focus on one verse. Um, It'll be on the screen, but I'd uh, love if you've got a Bible or a device, turn to Psalm 90. And I'm reading from the ESV. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80 yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let your work be shown to your servants and your Glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this, your word through your servant, written and preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. God, would you open our hearts and our minds that this uh, scripture might go down deep and bear fruit for the kingdom. Amen. This entire psalm, which I'm not going to go through, communicates the powerful, eternal, holy, and gracious nature of God. There's some scary stuff in there. So read the whole thing. It also communicates some facts about us as people. The frail, the temporal, the needy, and the longing nature of of us, the people that God created. So we're going to focus all of that on one verse, and this is it. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is Moses' encouragement for us to pray, God, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. As I'm reading through this psalm and then decided on this uh, scripture, I realized The temptation was to spend 30 minutes talking about wisdom because we all love that, that's fun, and I've got all sorts of definitions and so forth. We will talk a little bit about wisdom, but I realized that the major request of Moses, the man of God, is not give me wisdom, it's teach me to number my days. The prayer is, God, teach me. If I can number my days by your grace, if I'll allow that, then I'll get wisdom and then I can live in that. Lots of places in the Bible where it says, go after wisdom. So absolutely go after it. This morning, this text, Moses is saying, by the Holy Spirit, God, teach us to number our days. And so that's where we'll spend our time. The prayer is that we allow God to teach us to understand the brevity, the frail nature of our lives, so that in the essential nature of our life in our hearts, we'll choose wisely what to do in and with our lives. I really like that sentence, so I'm going to say it again. The prayers that we allow God to teach us to understand the brevity of our lives, the frail nature of our lives, so that in the essential nature that's in our hearts, we'll choose wisely what we do in and with our lives. It's a prayer for God, teach us. Tell us what you want us to know. So um, I won't spend my whole time on definitions, but I love me some definitions. So uh, some of the words, teach, just literally, to cause someone to know something. If you're a teacher, you know how hard it is to cause someone (laughs) to know something. But God can do it. He's the ultimate teacher. To number, it's just to weigh or to count. What's the... What's the gravity of my days? How many do I actually have? Days, in this context, can mean either a day, like literally today, or a division of time. But when it's in the plural like this, my days, it means a lifetime. So the Hebrews would be hearing this and saying, so help me consider or count my lifetime. Not just what happens today or tomorrow, but my lifetime. What's the whole deal all about? Interesting when you come to the heart, to get a heart of wisdom. Um, I think I was probably supposed to know this from seminary, but I didn't know it till last week when I read a commentary. Um, the Isra- uh, ancient Israel didn't really have a concept of the brain. We're all about brain and intellect, right? What they believed is that intellectual activity takes place in the heart. This is where we know and understand and make connections. So Proverbs says, wisdom dwells in the heart. Wisdom dwells in the heart. It's also where you experience joy, right? Isn't it funny that we'll say wisdom somehow is up here, but joy is here. They're both palpable. They're they're both things that we walk with that can make their way through our lives. It's the generator of physical life, the heart, where you make choices that are motivated by your desires. And then wisdom, we get to wisdom. Wisdom is, at the very least, seeing and responding to, uh, to life and its situation from God's frame of reference. Wisdom is walking here but recognizing this. God, how do you see this? You know, we sang this morning and we prayed, let heaven come to earth. Well, that's a, that's a, prayer, of, that's a prayer of every day. God, I'm here, but you're up there and you want to bring this down. What are we doing? It's not just intellect, but what we do with intellect. That's wisdom. The ability to process, to apply, or to act on knowledge. Wisdom in the heart is what helps us to know what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, what's true or false. That's God's gift of wisdom to us. It's the motivation to act and to react as God would. You know, remember the bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, Yeah, it's pithy and trendy. It's also actually our lives. Jesus, what would you do right here? How would you live out the kingdom if you were in my body? Oh, he is right in the midst of us. So... um, my definition, as I kind of put those together, is wisdom is knowing what to do with what we know and what we have. When we prayed for wisdom last fall, a year ago, about this building stuff, we said, we're praying for God, help us to know what to do with what we know and what we have. That's wisdom in the world. So again, we pray, teach us to number our days that we might get from God a heart of wisdom the New Living Translation reads teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom so okay I took three, uh, some minutes to talk about definitions in case when I said definitions you tuned me out, time to come back (laughs) because really and in sort of a strange way all I'm going to do is give illustrations for the rest of our time, six to be exact Because I think we can hear that with an intellectual mind and a heart, but to actually live it out, we have to feel it. Somehow it's got to hit our lives in a specific way. As I give these illustrations and talk and maybe some stories, I don't want you to write them down. I want you to hear them. All my notes will be online. I don't want you to write these down. I want you to take them in. Just let yourself kind of live in these. If God gives us grace to number our days and gives us a heart of wisdom, we get perspective and we get priority. Then we get a heart of wisdom. It's like when we know how much time we have, then we can focus on what's important. So not to bring anyone any trauma, but do you remember back in school? Take a break here. Maybe you, were, uh, you had one of those tests. I remember these because I'm an anxious test taker. And I remember, uh, maybe it's those, those tests we had to do every year. I don't, can't remember what you call those. Standardized tests or something. And the teacher would say, all right, you have 60 minutes. There are 60 questions. Most important, give an answer to every question. You remember that? Very important, like give an answer to every question. Somehow that would help your score go better. Because even if you guess, you know, one time out of four, you get it right. So if the exam is 60 minutes and 60 questions, and you have 10 minutes left, and you have 30 questions left. First, you're, you're breathing heavily and wanting to run out of the room. But second, what happens in your mind? Okay, okay. I'm going to go a little bit faster. I'm going to take less time on things that I don't know. I'm going to make a guess because the priority is finish. Right? So, you, you know, you want to get everyone right and, you know, do the thing. But if you're at 30 and you've got five minutes left, you're like, I've got to get this done. So it focuses the priority on I need to finish. So the question is, as we think about our lives, numbering our days to get a heart of wisdom, how much time do we have? Obviously, well, I think it's obvious. When Moses says, God, teach us to number our days, he's not asking God to say, how many days do you have? 47 and a half or 82 years and three months. Nobody can know that. We don't get that. But there's something about um, being uh, cognizant of the brevity of life that speaks about perspective and priority. So there was a a doctor, an intellectual guy in the mid-20th century. His name was Leslie Weatherhead. You've probably all read his volumes. He compared the average length of a life with the hours of one day to illustrate how important it is for us to know the value of time. So he took one day, like 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., and said, if you take the average life of a human, what time is it? Be, don't get crazy here, all right? It's just an illustration. <laughs> so if you're 15 years old, assuming we start at 6 a.m. and we go to 11 p.m., there's a good day, right? If you're 15 years old, it's 10:25 a.m. If you're 20 the time is 11.34. If you're 25, it's 12.42, and you've just finished lunch. If you're 30, it's 1.51 in the afternoon. If you're 35, the time's 3 o'clock. If you're 40, the time is 4.08. At 45, it's 5.15. At 50, it's starting to hit me a little bit here, it's 6.25, By age 55, the time is 7.24 p.m. If you're 60, it's 8.42. At 65, the time is 9.51. And if you're 70, it's 11 p.m. Let that sink in for a minute. Roughly, because all those numbers got me a little confused, I broke it up just roughly. 15, 10.30, 20, 11.30, 25, noon, 32 p.m., 32 p.m., 35, three o'clock in the afternoon, 40, 4 p.m., 50, 6:30 in the in the evening, 60, nine o'clock, 65, 10 p.m., 70, 11 p.m. Now, by the way, that's that was the um, average lifespan in 1950. It's gone up increasingly every year, except for the last three years. And the average life expectancy in the United States is now going down. That kind of freaks you out. (laughs) Now, disclaimer. We have a beautiful group of people in this sanctuary that are over 70. Good. Moses says we're given 70 years. 80 if due to strength. If you're over 80, and I happen to know there's a 93-year-old today, you're strong. Please don't take this as I'm done. Take this as I am strong. God's given me more life than others can expect. You know what I say to you? Go for it. Absolutely go for it. Take risks. Live according to your values. Stir people up around you to live according to their values. Challenge them, encourage them, support them. I mean, Dolores, go for it. And everyone else. That is the point about numbering our days. It's not, oh, man, I've only got a few left I'm done for. No, it's I've only got a a few left. What are we going to do? It's just an illustration. It's just to make you think, and not so much think with your intellect, but think with your heart. God, teach me to number my days, my lifetime. God, help me to recognize my limited time. How am I living? Am I, have I gotten the heart of wisdom, and am I living it out? Does my life reflect the values that I say are most important to me? I was in a retreat setting in a degree program I was doing some years ago. And that was one of the first questions. You know, it's a bunch of pastors and leaders in there. And this woman gets up and she says, does your daily life reflect the values that you say are most important? And we all went running for the doors. (laughs) It really gets you, doesn't it? Um. So before we fixate on time and get all freaked out, um, hear this one. This is the only one maybe you want to write down. The compass is more important than the clock. Where we're headed, oh, I'll take some clapping. Where we're headed is more important than the time it takes to get there. I mean, think of Mary and Martha. You know, think of so many places in Scripture where God is saying, the compass, where you're headed, your focus, what your eyes are set upon, where your heart is, much more important than the clock. Moses was 80 years old before he even started his ministry. If he was thinking clock, he'd be like, I'm done. And then he leads the people to the promised land. That's amazing more about direction than production. Recently, by someone in my life, I was challenged to um, consider my top five values in life. So I've done this before, like 20 values. This person gave me 100 values. And I, I, so I, <laughs> I printed them, I cut them perfectly, I put them out on a table in equal lines. And I stood there, I'm just looking at, what are my values? And so what this person told me was, put them into categories. Unimportant, important, most important. And then with that group of most important, choose the top five. It only took me three months. (laughs) It's a joke. Do you know how hard that is? To like determine my actual values when you're from 100 down to 5? it really challenges you know you're like you know do I do I value my family well yeah obviously you know it's you kind of try to figure out what to do it was hard it's important that when we uh, choose and evaluate our values that we be ruthlessly honest God what am I truly living for Let's just make sure, as I drive that point in, that we assess by God's definition of wisdom rather than our personal desire for efficiency. Do a tiny study in the Bible and just ask, you know, with this question, is God efficient? It's not so much. God is about effectiveness, obedience, and faithfulness, very rarely about efficiency. Um, I know that in, in the church here, there's a, a friend of mine, and he's an efficiency expert. This is his job. I don't want him to feel bad. <laughs> efficiency, if you're called by God to it and to help others, go for it. Obedience, faithfulness to your calling, but not efficiency as a God. Rather, faithfulness and obedience in terms of the way we walk with God. God never commands Efficiency he frequently stresses the value of wisdom and the heart set on faithfulness. So with all that in mind, could God call someone to a life of action? Yes. How about to a life of solitude? Yes. To justice? Yes. Family? Yes. To care for an elderly parent as faithfulness? Yes. Serve the poor, preach to the wealthy, to be a comedian? To politics, those are closely related. (laughs) To teaching, you know, to pastor a 30-member church in a town no one's heard of. Or to serve in a mega church that gets all sorts of, I mean, God's call is to faithfulness. Not just efficiency or even, please hear this in the right way, production. Fruitfulness is determined and designed by God, not evaluated by us. A big test of wisdom is our willingness to be faithful in the place that God has presently called us. A friend of mine was speaking on this stage probably 12 years ago. I actually texted him. I'm, I'm like, Jeff, do you remember when you said this to the church? It had a huge impact on me. He said, I don't remember saying that. But this is what he got up here. He was pacing around and sweating, you know. And he says, he said, at the end of your life, you will have given your life to someone or something. When this is all done and you're on that bed, you will have given your life to someone or something. It gives you perspective. It helps us to to wake up each day and say, God, what am I giving my life to? What are you calling me to? Beware of despising the present where God lives and dwells in reality for the future that may or may not be reality. I think we get caught in that sometimes. God, when I get, when this happens, when that happens, and God says, here's today, live faithfully in today. God can deal with the future, He knows it. We don't. God lives in the present. God has access to past, present, and future, but He lives here in us in the present. Psalm 143 Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And Paul exhorts the Ephesians, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. In other, way, in other words, the God of this world wants to snatch days, and the God of eternity wants to give them. A couple of years ago, uh, some of us did these kind of um, discipleship cohorts, and uh, we went through some material, and in one of the sort of lessons early on, we talked about um, uh, rest and work balance. Like how do we how do we engage with God to be balanced, you know, working as God calls us to, but resting in him as he also calls us to do. And one of the exercises was this, and I had to do it too. It was hard. We said to the, to the men in the group, um, for the next week, we want you to um, get a calendar, hour by hour, and at the end of each day or in the midst of each day, write down what you did for every hour of that week. 168 hours in a week. <laughs> Nate's like, oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> just, just write down what you do, and then this is the question we asked. When you write down and see what you did in each hour, what does it look like to you? What does it feel like to you? How does it represent what you say is most important to you? Equally as important, we asked this question. When you realized you had to write it down, and might actually give it to another human being, how does that affect what you do? Because it's perspective that leads to priority. Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. As God teaches us to number our days to get a heart of wisdom, we're called to consider our days. You know, just to, to go back to that, that analogy the goal of that practice for a week was not be more efficient it was not get more done it was not ramp it up be more productive it was god as a, as i look at my life from your perspective how do i work how do i rest how do i live how do i recreate what do i eat who do i invest in how do i sabbath how do i recreate as opposed to just, how do I get more done? Or, in case for some of us, how do I avoid avoid work? (laughs) God's not necessarily looking for efficiency, but for faithfulness and obedience. Time does not determine all things. God does. Time gives us perspective. God gives us guidance. We don't worship time. We worship God. Um, I've talked on occasion through the years about my great-grandmother. She was kind of a hero and a nemesis to me at the same time. Um, At the age of 70, I talked to my mom about this this week. At the age of 70, my great-grandmother started coming to holidays and saying, this is probably my last year. You probably won't see me again. And then she would say, by the way, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. I heard this for many years growing up. She started at 70. My great-grandmother died at 106. (laughs) So initially when I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking she quit living at 70, and what did she do with the rest of the time? And then I thought again, I thought, wait a minute. She recognized the brevity of life. Now, honestly, I didn't spend enough time with her to know, was she living fully in those last 36 years? Or had she given up? Had she just said, I'm done, so I'm giving up? I, I really don't know the answer. I do know that um, she was from Lithuania. She came. She was born in 1890, came to the States in 1910. She was Jew, fully, uh, fully Jewish. She was, um, and was um, excommunicated, essentially abandoned by her family when she married a Protestant, a Christian, my great-grandfather. So she had some life, Um, and before Jane and I even knew that Jane was pregnant with our first child, like we had an inkling, we walk into my grandparents' house, there's my great grandmother, she's four foot zero, and pretty mean, she looks at Jane, she says, you're pregnant, just like that. (laughs) I'm like, she's prophesying. <laughs> she knows the God of Israel. Like, and it was true. It was really, really, really amazing. All right, I gone way too far my great-grandmother. <laughs> Sometimes people come to this church. We're transient, you know. Sometimes people come to this church, and they say, whether out loud or in their hearts, you know, I'm just here for a little bit, maybe a year or two, so I don't really want to put roots down. And I say to those people, What are you talking about? You don't know how long you're here. Sink your roots deep. Because when God transplants you, do you want shallow roots or deep roots? So when you go to the next place, if you have fully invested, number one, it will hurt when you leave. That's actually a good sign. It will hurt when you leave. But when God puts you in the new place, guess what? You have a chance to thrive more quickly you've got deep roots. They've got somewhere to go. So I say to you, if you're here for the first day or the, you know, 40th year, whatever, sink your roots deeply and then let God decide when he wants to or if he wants to transplant you. I think I'm on illustration number five, so we're getting near the end. What happens when you attend a funeral? You hear the love, you hear the heartache, you hear the joy, you hear the grief, you hear some funny stories. I don't mean any offense here. Have you ever gone to a funeral and gotten in the car on your way back and thought to yourself, dang, I just need to watch more TV? You go to a funeral, you're faced with your own mortality, right? It hits you, it sinks in, and all of a sudden you start thinking, who's most important? What am I doing with my life? The reality is three weeks, a month later, that sentiment kind of goes away. I think Moses would have us stay in that sentiment, not anxiously, not with, you know, guilt and judgment and all that, but with the open hand of God. I don't know how much time I have, but I know it's short, possibly shorter than I know. What do you want me to do? Where do I put my time? Why would I waste my time on trivialities when my time to do the important is clearly limited? Somebody gets a terminal diagnosis. As I've walked with people in that situation, it seems like one of two things happens. One, they say, I'm almost done, I might as well quit. And life diminishes. Others say, I'm almost done, and life gets invigorated, right? You either look at it and say, I'm done, I might as well quit, or you look at it and say, I'm almost done. What are we going to do? Let's live all the way to the end. Uh, Illustration I didn't plan, so this would be number seven. I was uh, listening to the radio this last week. They were too many details I won't try to give. Uh, A daughter was interviewing her mother. The mother had a terminal diagnosis so they decided we'll have this conversation to get all the important stuff out. So they have this deeply moving conversation where the daughter finds out all these things about her mother and she lives another 20 years. Here's the question. Why not have those now? Like why wait for terminal diagnosis to be intimate with the people that you truly care about? Why would we wait? Well, because it's hard. Life is hard. Well, because it's challenging. Again, because it'll make me uncomfortable and you expected to be comfortable in life? Last question before I give some homework <laughs> to go back to the school analogy. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and ask the Lord this? Ask the Lord and ask the Lord within you, Jesus there, God, what part of my life needs to hear this word this morning? As I'm listening, God, what part of this word this morning, what part of my life needs to hear this word this morning? And we'll just take a minute and I'll just let you be quiet and pray. As you're praying, remember the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So there's no stress, no tension, no anxiety required to hear God. Maybe it's not in this exact moment. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's tomorrow. But Jesus wants to lead us. Amen. Here's the homework, should you choose to accept it. Um, One, do the week exercise. Do it this week or next week. Simple piece of paper, 168 hours, seven days, and just decide, I'm going to write down roughly what I do each hour. And then, if you have courage (laughs) and guts, show it to someone. Show it to someone that you love and say, You know, together, can we look at my life, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with the invitation of, Jesus, what would you say about my life? Highlight the good and the great. Lead me to understand where I might be missing the mark. Conviction always comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation, that's a bad guy. If you feel condemned, you know, Tell the enemy to go away in the name of Jesus. If you, if you feel convicted, lean into the love of Jesus and walk it out. Let's stand. And uh, any ministry team members, if you could come forward, maybe there's some that would want prayer this morning for either perspective and priority, anything from this morning, or maybe you walked in with something this morning, an emotional need, a spiritual question, maybe a physical ailment that we can pray for, God is here and loves to heal his people, loves to show his love. I'll pray for us. I just invite you as I'm praying, come forward if you want prayer. Um, Remember, if you want to be in one of those um, Q&A meetings, we'll be in the community room right after this, probably eight minutes from now. But come and get prayer if you want. Turn to someone next to you and say, Would you pray for me? Ask God for wisdom. God, thank you for this word um, by your Holy Spirit through Moses. We ask very simply, with all the faith that you've given us, God, would you so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom? God, will you release this morning that spirit of wisdom and revelation? in the knowledge of you, that we might pursue you, feel and know your love, and give it away. And now as either you come forward or you talk or you go out or to the meeting, just hear this benediction. May you live in God's unfailing love. May you understand your days and receive from God a heart of wisdom. May the favor of the Lord our God be upon you. And may God himself establish the work of your hands. Yes, may God himself establish the work of your hands. Amen.